0: Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. When this program was recorded in September of 2001, approximately 20% of the world's population lived in the People's Republic of China. According to Chinese-American lawyer Gordon G. Chang, China appears from the outside to be politically stable and economically strong. Chang, however, argues that China is in social, cultural, economic, and political turmoil. He claims that China's entry into the World Trade Organization will trigger social and political collapse. Gordon Chang lived and worked in China for almost 20 years, most recently in Shanghai. He is the author of The Coming Collapse of China, a book in which he describes the major problems he sees ahead for China. I spoke with Gordon Chang by phone and asked him to begin by telling us what he believes would cause China to collapse.
1: China will join the World Trade Organization in a few months, and uh, that limits the ability of the regime to continually defer solutions to problems. And China has many, many problems, from the state-owned enterprises, which are the backbone of Chinese industry, to the state-owned banks. Also the country is keeping the economy going by massive, massive fiscal stimulus, which it can't do forever. And, and while all of this is going on, the leadership is going to go through a very important transition beginning next year and continuing through 2003 when most of the top leadership positions in both the party and in the government are going to change.
0: So, Well, well Gordon, that's quite a mouthful at the beginning here, so maybe we could break it down a little bit. Sure. And uh, try and identify what the problems are that you mention, and what has gone on within the Chinese government that has allowed them to defer resolution of these problems?
1: What they have tried to do is to, in a number of different ways, uh, use uh, government funds to paper over problems. Um, it, it's, it's any number of, of different solutions that they've attempted to do. So, for instance, when workers demonstrate, they sometimes try to buy off the mob by promising uh, certain benefits, which are delivered in many cases and sometimes not. And, and they do this as a means of uh, trying to quell disturbances. They'll, they won't be really able to do that because under WTO, with uh, all the new rules that will come into play, Uh, They they won't be able to rearrange everything as they have up to now because when they join WTO, they won't really be the sole master of their own economy.
0: How will that change? I mean, we know that it creates almost a uh, a fictional world government that's controlled uh, by – unelected leaders. But how do you see that changing the effects in China, uh, both for the export issue and for the life of the uh, people who work in the factories?
1: Well, WTO does four general things. One of them is that tariffs will drop when China joins that. And that's according to the agreements that uh, China has made to join the organization. And the decrease in tariffs is quite steep. Uh, perhaps more important, uh, many internal barriers to trade will fall when China joins the WTO, and that's also by agreement. Uh, third thing is that uh, general WTO principles on fair trading come into play. And fourth of all, China um, subjects itself to the WTO dispute resolution mechanism, uh, which is administered and based outside of China to these days uh, the party communist party controls most of the state enterprises or all the state enterprises and it's able to uh, have the economy go like it wants to but in WTO it really won't be able to do that because it won't for instance be able to uh, continue with its big export subsidies and that means that as industries fail then workers will lose their jobs. Uh, so the pace of, of uh, restructuring of Chinese industry will accelerate uh, when China joins the WTO.
0: Well, you mention in your book that um, one fifth of the working Chinese population is unemployed or underemployed. What's going to happen if you That's if where you will
1: only get. Uh, increase uh, as uh, China joins the WTO because uh, state-owned enterprises will fail in even greater numbers than today. Uh, And as I mentioned, uh, China won't be able to use all of the export subsidies and other incentives that it currently has uh, because of the agreements that the country has made to join the global trading body. So everybody predicts that uh, there will be an increase in unemployment as the industries restructure according to the competitive pressures.
0: Are there other problems that go into this mix beyond China's uh, entry into the World Trade Organization?
1: Well, as the Chinese economy fails, the only way the leaders in Beijing will be able to keep themselves in power is to raise the flag of nationalism higher. And that unfortunately means being even more belligerent towards Taiwan, which was once a part of China, but now is effectively its own country. Uh, any attempt to retake Taiwan and to absorb it back into the mainland will inevitably involve the United States. So it then becomes an international issue as uh, the economy fails in China.
0: Well, what's going to happen? How, what do you uh, project?
1: well i project that the economy will fail in a five or six year time frame maybe as late as a decade but i think certainly in in the earlier five or six years so therefore i i would see that there would be increasing tension with taiwan within that time frame even today the leadership of the people's liberation army talks about war with taiwan in five years and everyone believes that that is bluster but as the economy fails And as the regime sees nationalism as the only way to stay in power, it'll become more than just bluster. I believe that they actually will be hostile towards Taiwan.
0: Well, you have a thesis in your book that um, if China goes to war over Taiwan, uh, it'll spell the end of the republic. What's behind that? What's your thinking?
1: Well, first of all, the mainland generals can't Take the main island of Taiwan without resort to their nuclear weapons, and I don't think that they would do that. I think that what they would try and do is is uh, use, uh, first of all, belligerence, and and then perhaps force in in various ways to try to bring Taiwan to bay, and that could escalate beyond control. Uh, Mainland generals tell us that they could take Taiwan in a day, which is just absolutely ludicrous. And I'm sure they don't believe that, but the problem is that when generals say things like that, and as we go into this political transition, they may be boxed in by their statements that they've made in the past. The problem here is just one of escalation, as uh, you can happen when you have a war of words. People can't back down, and then they're forced to do things that they would prefer not to do. So anything can happen as the economy spirals out of control. So therefore, we'll see perhaps a spiraling of the tensions with Taiwan.
0: Well, Gordon, I'd like to step aside here for a minute and ask you what your background is and what you have done um, to make the conclusions that that you're telling us about that are going to have, if they come true, um, a tremendous uh, restructuring of the world dynamic.
1: Well, the reason I wrote the book was uh, my wife and I were living in in Shanghai and we were reading all of these analyses from experts, most of them foreign experts. And and we thought that uh, what we were seeing was just not consistent with what we saw around us in Shanghai. And it just got me to the point where I thought that uh, someone needed to set the record straight. There was this unrestrained optimism. That uh, we felt was unjustified, and, and as we started to think about this, China made uh, very serious moves towards joining the World Trade Organization, and we realized that at that point, uh, with all of the trends the way they were going, that the this was completely unsustainable. And so, therefore, I decided that that was the point that I had to write the book.
0: Well, what were some of the discrepancies that uh, you saw? You mentioned unjustified optimism, but on the part of whom, for example?
1: Well, essentially, uh, what we saw, just to give you one example, is Shanghai has has developed uh, very, very well over the last decade and now uh, rivals many of the major world cities in its physical infrastructure. Foreigners would come and visit Shanghai and say, Isn't this terrific? China's developing, everything's terrific. But one thing that uh, uh, analysts forgot was that Shanghai was developing because the central government was pouring more and more money into uh, uh, Shanghai. It, it wasn't uh, developing on its own, it was developing because of uh, central government uh, stimulus. This is exactly the same thing or same technique that the central government used to develop heavy industries in the 1950s and we ended up with state owned enterprises which today are uncompetitive even in China's highly protected economy so we saw all the same techniques being applied in other words we didn't think that the central government really had uh, become more modern the, the people who i think are the most enthusiastic uh, are the the economists for the major investment banks around the world they they come into china see a few cities and then leave and say that they've seen china when when they haven't seen a rural town haven't seen the peasants haven't seen a state-owned enterprise in some backward province which is very much a part of china and perhaps even more representative than the great cities of the coastal east like beijing shanghai guangzhou So we thought all of this was just a a misrepresentation of what China is today, and people in the world were buying this story, even though it was only a very small part of what's actually going on in China today.
0: I'd like to take a moment and tell our listeners that this week we're talking with Gordon G. Chang, an attorney educated in the United States, uh, an American citizen born in the United States of Chinese ancestry, and the author of a recent book called The Coming Collapse of China. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Gordon, when a person travels in the rural areas of China, away from the uh, major industrial cities of eastern China, what would one see?
1: Uh, if one were traveling on the uh, co- in the coastal provinces, um Peasants would look fairly good, um, and this is where my father's hometown is, for instance, in Jiangsu Province, which is just north of Shanghai. But if one were to go into the interior provinces, uh, Sichuan, uh, some of the others, uh, probably see a much worse picture. Uh, there are peasants who live on essentially a dollar U.S. a year, um, just uh, a very hard scrabble existence. Uh, and they would probably see uh, uh, desertification, which is uh, the sands coming in from the north and, and taking up arable land. So it, it's not a pretty picture uh, in the interior provinces.
0: Uh, what have you learned, or what is your comment on recent news articles concerning um, the spread of AIDS through unclean needles uh, in health care in general as opposed to addiction
1: this is a coming epidemic in China. The the authorities ignored the problem of AIDS for as long as they could, and only when it got to a point of uh, becoming an epidemic did they actually start to talk about the problem in public, which was only just about two or three weeks ago. And still today, their comments show that they're underplaying the situation. This is a, a typical response of the regime it goes back to the founding of the people's republic where essentially the central government and the communist party can do almost anything but admit failure or problems uh, we saw that uh, all throughout starting from the great leap forward when uh, tens of millions of peasants died even though the the granaries were full from past harvest because the grain the the party could not take the grain out of the granaries because it would then have to admit that its agricultural policies were at fault. So though we see this uh, inability to deal with problems, uh, and it goes throughout the history of the People's Republic.
0: Well, what happens to the problems if they're not dealt with?
1: They become bigger problems, and we've seen that uh, with state-owned enterprises, and, and we will see it with AIDS. We're starting to also see it with environmental destruction. China has had all this economic development over the last 25 years, but it's purchased it with uh, extreme environmental degradation. Some people say that the coming problems in northern China will be the worst ecological disaster in the history of mankind. I don't know if it'll be that bad, but clearly China is facing environmental problems from the north of China down to the south.
0: Well, how about pollution?
1: Uh, extremely terrible problem especially water pollution uh, because water is, is essential for agriculture of course and uh... for the continuing economic uh... industrial development china's pumping water uh, faster than it can be replenished and its second major river the yellow river uh, doesn't run to the sea for most of the year because too much water is being taken out uh, that's a problem which could become an environmental disaster, as I mentioned, and it's a problem that the authorities acknowledge, but they've acknowledged it much too late, much the same way with the AIDS academ- epidemic.
0: How about political repression? Every now and then we hear of uh, uh, stories um, of, uh, I think it's pronounced Logai, the labor camps?
1: Yeah, labor camps. Uh, there has been, over the last two or three years, uh, an increasing crackdown on all forms of dissent. Uh, and we see it not only in the labor camps, but we see it with the Falun Gong, with attempts to censor the internet, uh, with attempts to silence scholars by imprisoning them. It, the party is feeling insecure, and because of that, it has cracked down. This is, this is not the response of a, a stable and secure regime.
0: You're not painting a pretty picture.
1: Uh, Well, it isn't a pretty picture there. Uh, What I'm just trying to do is to rebalance the view that uh, the West uh, sees of China.
0: Well, what are your projections then of what you foresee happening uh, in a country where more than one out of five uh, humans in the world live?
1: Well, I see that within that five- or six-year time frame, the economy will trend downwards and then fail, and when that happens, uh, the regime will be hard-pressed to maintain itself in power. Uh, It's going to be very difficult for the government to cope with WTO, because really, for the first time in Chinese history, uh, the Chinese government is, is opening up the country to the outside world on the terms of the outside world, not China's terms. Um, so it's going to be very difficult for the regime to face the enhanced competition that WTO brings, to face the political transition, all of these things that are happening at the same time.
0: When it's um, going to accept these terms um, uh, of how to deal with the outside world based on what the outside world terms are, that's going against a uh, cultural and political uh, philosophy that's been in existence for thousands and thousands of years. What kind of clashes do you see?
1: Well, I I think that it's very possible that uh, the Chinese people, especially the students, the, the more activists, will feel that their country has been betrayed. You have to remember China is haunted by the West encroachment onto China in the 18th and 19th centuries, when China was forcibly opened by Western armies. WTO is different because it's not the West opening up China. It's the leaders uh, seeking to open up the country further by agreeing to the terms of WTO membership. And so I think that uh, many people may feel betrayed, workers, students, uh, as the economy trends downwards, because they'll say that our government uh, agreed to this, and so therefore the government is responsible for all of the, the uh, unfavorable consequences that will flow.
0: So are you implying then uh, that the government does not speak for the people?
1: Well, it's not that the government doesn't speak for the people. I don't think that it's... First of all, it's really an issue of the government misperceiving the ability of the country to withstand the enhanced competition of WTO. Uh, In general, of course, uh, no authoritarian government really speaks for the people. But this is a case of the government trying to convince the people of something which is probably at this time ill-advised for the country, because it's just not ready for uh, membership in uh, the global trading body.
0: So am I hearing you to uh, interpret then that the strength of the government is going to be so substantially weakened by joining the World Trade Organization that it will collapse and there'll be some form of revolution, or whatever you want to call it, rising from among uh, the peasants and the common uh, people?
1: Exactly. Uh, the there, Today in China, there is uh, many, many instances of civil unrest. The last year for which figures were available were 1999, and there were about 100,000 protests, according to the Ministry of Public Security then, In the year 2000, we know that the demonstrations became extremely large, with tens of thousands of peasants demonstrating, as well as tens of thousands of workers. What's going to happen after joining the WTO is these demonstrations will become even more numerous and probably will become bigger. And eventually what will happen is that the government will fail as these protests grow in strength and number.
0: What do you see happening then? I mean, I can imagine that uh, prior to the failure of the government, uh, there could be a lot of death of the protesters.
1: Well, if we look back at 1989 at the Tiananmen Square uh, demonstrations, uh, clearly the government was determined to stay in power and was willing to use even deadly force to do so. I think the leaders today are still willing to do that what could happen though is as workers and peasants demonstrate uh, there'll be many people in the party who sympathize with them and one of the real dangers for the party is splitting at the top because when that happens it become very difficult for the security forces of the state to do anything if uh, there are two different people speaking for the party so that i see is as a likely occurrence as people in the party for various reasons, uh, some altruistic, some selfish, come to really different positions on what the government should do to react to peasant and worker demonstrations.
0: And you foresee this uh, unfolding uh, in the next uh, five to ten years?
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: I'd like to take a moment and tell our listeners that this week we're talking with Gordon G. Chang, an attorney educated in the United States, uh, an American citizen born in the United States of Chinese ancestry, and the author of a recent book called The Coming Collapse of China. He's lived in China a number of years and uh, perhaps will return. We'll talk about that in a minute. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Gordon Chang, in your, uh, almost 20 years of living in China, um, you've learned what you're telling us about now, and I understand that the Chinese government, uh, some leaders have read your book, uh, yet you plan to return. What kind of reception do you anticipate?
1: Well, we're going to have to reapply for visas, uh, and, uh, we'll see whether we can get in or not, um. It really will depend the reception we get will depend on on how the world views the book. And so at this point, we are feeling, um you know, we'll just have to take it as it goes. Do
0: um, you see any harm to yourself uh, if you are allowed in? Well, um, if
1: we thought that that would be the case, then then we would not uh, go back. What we would try and do is live in Hong Kong. Uh, which is, I guess, the second best alternative. Uh, What we want to do is, uh, you can't really write about China unless you're in it, I think, because otherwise you you tend to see the images and and not able to sometimes see those small things that that will give you a very good hint as to what will happen. Uh, The second best place is being in Hong Kong, and that's where we would go.
0: What kind of work uh, do you hope to do when you return?
1: That's an excellent question. Uh, I don't think I'll be continuing to practice law. Uh, What I'd like to be able to do uh, is to continue to write, and I'll have to find uh, some role in which I'd be permitted to do that, because China, of course, uh, very carefully monitors foreign journalists. So I'll have to be able to come up with some role, maybe a consultant of some sort. But uh, at this point, uh, that's quite in the future, so uh, we have not worked out all the details yet.
0: When a foreign journalist is monitored, um, are your everyday writings monitored, or is it only what you publish?
1: Yeah, the, um, the, the, the uh, authorities uh, do read what journalists write and, and publish. They don't really have the ability to see too many of the drafts because although theoretically they could, they don't. They can't monitor every phone call and they can't monitor every email transition, uh, transmission. So it generally, they see it at the same time the rest of the world does.
0: Well, Gordon Chang, I want to thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I'd like you to take a minute or two and tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately.
1: Uh, the book I would think is the most interesting would be the tipping point by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, Gladwell likens social change to epidemics, which begin with the smallest of events. And and he writes that things can happen all at once and and little changes can make a huge difference. That's certainly true of uh, the China of tomorrow.
0: Gordon Chang, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious.
1: And thank you very much.
0: Gordon Chang is the author of The Coming Collapse of China. His recommendation for an interesting book to read is The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707 6215075 Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer I'm host and producer Barry Vogel thank you for listening